Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. Are you ready to be scared? I'm always ready to be scared, Holly. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the story of the Nell Cropsey house, which I don't believe that you heard before. No. And I don't think we've covered it on this podcast. I think we would remember. If we I had. think so. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Ella Cropsey, or quote unquote Nell, as she was called, was a beautiful young girl living it up in Elizabeth City, North Carolina in 1898. She was from a wealthy family that lived in a beautiful Victorian house right on the banks of the Pasquatank River. Mm -hmm. I think I said that correctly. So Pasquatank, if you guys live in uh, North Carolina, hopefully I'm not butchering that up. Nell was finally coming to the age where she could entertain suitors. And entertain them, she did, Carol. Whoa, Nellie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Whoa, Nellie. She had many young men interested in her, especially one that stood out from the crowd. His name was Jim Wilcox. And he pursued the beautiful Nell for three years. But in all of that time, he never asked for her hand in marriage. What the fuck, Jim? That's bullshit. This made Nell annoyed as she was ready to get married and start a family of her own. So in her spite, she started to flirt with other men in front of Wilcox to signal that she was getting fed up with waiting for him to propose. This, of course, pissed off Wilcox. And on the night of November 20th, 1901, Nell's family could hear Nell and Wilcox having a loud argument out on the porch. They were yelling at each other, but the family could not tell what exactly they were yelling about. However, eventually, the two lovebirds finally calmed down and the family believed that whatever the issue was, it was resolved, and they seemed to have made up. So sometime later that night, Nell's sister, Ollie, heard a noise outside the back of the house. When she went to see what caused the noise, she found the back screen door broken, but she didn't see who or what had caused the break. So then she went upstairs to check on Nell in her bedroom, but she found it empty. Oh. Mm-hmm. A while later, the next-door neighbor awoke the entire Cropsey household because he said that somebody was trying to take their pig. No. <laughs> this is Definitely you know, haven't heard the story of trying to steal the pig. <laughs> trying to steal the pig. Oink, oink. So when the family went downstairs, they found their front door was wide open. They started to search wildly for the pig because I'm sure it was <clears throat> they needed it for, for money or for uh, food or whatever. So every member of the family was up and searching except for one. Where is Nell? They asked. Oh. The last anyone had seen of Nell Cropsey was when she was on the front porch having a fight with Jim Wilcox. So the next morning, Nell's family called the police and a search party was formed to look for her, but she was nowhere to be found. Wilcox became the prime suspect as he was the last person to see her. He swore that he had no idea what happened to Nell and that she was alive when he left her. That did not stop the police, however, from arresting Wilcox and throwing him in jail on kidnapping charges. Nell was actually missing for 37 days until Whoa. finally, on December 27, 1901, her mother noticed something floating out in the Pasquatonk River. It was Nell. 
Oh. They brought her body to the shed on the back of the property of her house, where they conducted an autopsy that took all day to perform. A few thousand people, Carol, a few thousand people showed up at the house to wait for the results. Oh, I thought you were going to say a few thousand people came to view the autopsy. I'm like, they they were trying to view it, but it was in the shed. So I don't know if they could actually see it happening, but it was a big deal that she was missing. And so that like a couple thousand people showed up to watch or wait for the results. Yeah. The final report concluded that she had been hit on the head with something heavy and then drowned in the river. When word got out that Nell had been murdered, a lynch mob formed and went down to the jail to demand that Wilcox be hung straight away. Guilty before (laughs) a jury. That's right. Nell's family did not agree with the angry mob. They wanted Wilcox to stand trial. Eventually, the governor had to have a naval reserve group order everyone to go home. And eventually, the trial for Jim Wilcox began. Wilcox was actually tried twice for this murder. He was found guilty at the first trial, but it was declared a mistrial by the North Carolina Supreme Court and overturned. So he was tried again and was found guilty of second-degree murder and was given a 30-year sentence. He was eventually pardoned in 1920 after serving about half his sentence. Wilcox always maintained his innocence of Nell's murder. And in 1932, he told the editor of the Elizabeth City newspaper his side of what happened that night. The editor believed Wilcox was indeed innocent and planned to publish Wilcox's side of the story in the town paper. However, shortly after this interview, Wilcox committed suicide via shotgun and the newspaper editor died in a car accident. So Wilcox's story never came to light, unfortunately. The Nell Cropsey home still stands. Eventually, a new family bought the home and moved in like in the 1990s. I'm sure there are a lot of people who lived there between 1901 and 1990s. But this new family moves in and their son, Ryan, hated living there because he was being haunted by the ghost of a young Victorian era girl who gave him terrible dreams. And did he know he probably didn't even know the history? He did. Oh, he did. It's a pretty well-known house in this town. Ryan claimed he was 15 years old. He woke up out of a dead sleep to see a young girl in a Victorian dress watching him sleep. No creepy. He said she had dark hair and appeared to be in like a fog. She was begging him for help. Ryan said sometime after this first dream of her, he was in a terrible automobile accident. After he returned home from the hospital, he started dreaming about the girl in the dress. She was telling him that she knew he had been in an auto accident, but if he did not help her, his little brother would be next. <gasps> so, yeah, she... she's telling him, you better help me or your brother is going to get it next. He oh would, God. that Ryan would wake up Running. trying to scream, but nothing would come out. And finally, Ryan's mother came in to check on him and he clung to her out of sheer terror. And she's like, 15 year old boys do not cling to their mothers. He was that freaked out. So Ryan ended up moving away eventually, but he did come back to Elizabeth City and he moved back in with his mom, who still lived in that house. He dreaded being back in that house. And sure enough, when he returned to that home, creepy things started happening to him once again, just like they did when he was a kid. This time, however, he was wide awake when things would happen. Once again, Ryan saw the same girl from his dreams. This time, she was ascending the stairs in the house. She looked straight at him, then turned and walked down the hall. Ryan began to panic. He needed to know if this ghost was going to terrorize him all over again. So what do you think he did, Carol? Oh, 
he performed a seance or something crazy like that? No. Oh, what did he do? Who you get a call? You got it. He called Steve DeShavi and Amy Allen from oh. the Dead Files. <laughs> no, he didn't. He did. Fuck yeah, he did. <laughs> Stop rolling your eyes. <laughs> he did. And for those of you who are unaware of the TV show, The Dead Files, it follows a retired New York City homicide detective named Steve DeShavi and a psychic medium named Amy Allen. They both do their own investigation of a haunted property, and then at the end of the episode, they sit down with the homeowners to compare their notes. Steve will interview the house occupants, the historians of the area, and he does any scientific testing to see if anything in our physical world could be causing the hauntings. Mm-hmm. Whereas Amy does a quote-unquote walk at night with her ex-husband who follows her around with the camera as she tells him what she is seeing, hearing, feeling, tasting, etc. Amy can see the dead and can get messages from them. Amy will also tell the homeowners if they can clear the home of the ghost or if they need to move away because it's too dangerous for them to stay. The Nell Cropsey story is from Season 2, Episode 5, <laughs> titled A Watery Grave. And no, The Dead Files does not pay us to advertise our show, though I can see why you might think that. Oh, my gosh. So, of course, when The Dead Files investigation starts, Amy, the psychic medium, picks up on Nell. She sees Nell in her Victorian dress with her long, dark hair, and she is having a fit. Nell is having a fit, I should say. She exclaimed that Nell has a lot of teenage angst and would easily get angry. This energy just seemed to be playing out over and over again. Amy can see that Nell was pissed and she wanted to be free. She also picks up on the fact that a woman in the house was very sick, painfully sick with cancer. Like Amy kept saying she feels super nauseous and just she just didn't feel good at all. And she sees that there's also a nice ghost there named Charlie who liked to fix things in the home. But sometimes he would make a lot of noise, which the living people could hear. But then Amy ventures out into the back shed. This is where things get creepy and weird. While out there, she sees another man. He is hiding up in the rafters. When Matt, her ex, asks what the man is doing, Amy points up into the rafters and says, he is up there drooling and masturbating. Ew! She also tells Matt that this guy is a sexual predator and that he kills women and brags about it. Oh, he was bragging wow. her about it. So yeah. Amy is seeing the actual killer, maybe. Yes. So meanwhile, during Steve's investigations, he interviews Ryan's mother, Robin, who told Steve that when she and Ryan were discussing if they should call the dead files to come to the home to investigate, a pie plate flew out of the cupboard and smashed onto the floor. That That's is, what every woman ghost would I know, do. Right? Throw a pie plate. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I'm sure that's when they were like, yep, let's call the dead files. Let's this do has it. Stop. This is ending this right is, now. This is fucked up. Uh, so during his investigation, Steve speaks to a man who actually wrote a book about the Nell Cropsey murder. The author told him that there were alternate explanations for who murdered Nell, as some people did not believe Jim Wilcox did it. The author told him that one of the theories of Nell's death was that her father had killed her. People in town thought this was true because the ice bill for the Cropsey family went up. So the speculation was they were keeping Nell's body on ice. Because it took them 37 days to find her body in the water. But this theory really makes no sense. As it was November and December, they would not need ice to keep her cold. I it would, would just think, be cold I would anyway. think it would just be cold. Yeah. So then the writer also told Steve that another theory was that Wilcox had broken up with Nell. And so in her depression, she threw herself into the river and drowned to death. However, Steve took the autopsy report to a medical examiner 
who tells Steve that he sees no signs of suicide or drowning, but that the marks on her neck tell him that Nell mostly, most likely died of strangulation. So this is confusing because they couldn't actually conclude that entirely as the autopsy had only been conducted from the clavicle down really? as the original medical examiners did not look at her neck. But they did know that she had a big contusion on her head. Yeah. And Steve thought that the bruise on her head would not have been enough to kill her on on its own. So they believe she died via strangulation. So um, eventually, Steve talks to a historian in the area that tells him that three people who were at the house the night that Nell disappeared ended up eventually committing suicide. Three people? Three people. So Jim Wilcox, who I mentioned earlier, died by a self-inflicted shotgun blast to the head. Then another man who had been at the house that night named Roy Crawford, who was there to court Nell's sister, Ollie, went crazy and shot himself as well. And in 1913, Nell and Ollie's brother, Will, committed suicide in front of his wife and child by drinking carbolic acid in front of them. Oh, my God. That's brutal. That's really messed up. I have no idea why he would do that, but that's what he did. So according to the historian, Nell's sister, Ollie, became reclusive and would only dress in the same style of clothing from 1901 as if she was frozen in time that year. So she didn't really change her clothes or her appearance after 1901. She eventually became very sick with colon cancer and she died in the home. Oh, so that's a hit. That's that a she got. Hit. Yeah. And so tragedy really struck everybody in the household that night. Yeah, it sounds like ever, the whole family was cursed. Absolutely. So at the reveal at the end of the show, Amy tells Ryan, Robin, and Steve that she felt like Nell had died from having her neck snapped and that she was angry and filled with torment. She also told them that the creepy guy in the shed is the person who killed her. So when they asked Amy if the guy was Jim Wilcox, she said she wasn't sure because she could not get a clear look at the guy's face. So they're not really sure who it was, but Steve is convinced that Jim Wilcox was the one that murdered Nell Cropsey. However, what was not discussed in this episode of The Dead Files was that a letter had been sent to the Cropsey family just after Nell's body was discovered. The letter, which was postmarked from New York, indicated that a man was trying to steal a pig from the Cropsey house that night. Nell came down to stop him. The man grabbed a heavy stick and struck her on the head, which knocked her unconscious. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. He then took her down to the river, stole a boat, rode it out into the middle, and dumped her body into the river. The letter even included a map of where her body was dumped, which was not far from where her body was found. No one knows who sent the letter and if it, or if it was a true account of what actually happened to Nell. Oh my gosh. But but the um autopsy report did not show any water in her lungs. Now back in 1901 would they have looked for that? Would they have known for that? I mean I'm assuming so, but the medical examiner had ruled out drowning because there was no water in the lungs. So I don't know. There's a lot of questions about it. But so. they pulled her from the river. They I did. thought. But he How could believed you not have water in the He lungs? believed she was dead before she went into the water so she would not have inhaled it. I don't know. Maybe there's a way for water not to get into the lungs. I don't know. I'm not a medical examiner, but that's he on the show. He kind of like, no, I don't think that's how she went down. So when Steve asked Amy if Robin and Ryan could clear the home of the ghosts and stay, this is where things got really interesting. And this is why I chose to do this story. First of all, it's an interesting story. It really is. It's kind of a cool story. Yeah. But second of all, um, it always stuck in my head because of what Amy told them about staying in the house. And this is what she said. Amy said there was good news and bad news. The good news was, yes, they can clear the home of the ghosts 
Charlie, the nice ghost, is very easy to move on. The creepy guy in the shed is simple enough. She said, just tell him to get out, and he's not allowed back, and that would take care of him. Then she said that Nell actually is already gone, and what they were seeing of her was just residual energy. Oh, okay. Because I thought maybe what they were seeing was her sister. Um, I don't know, but they, I think they believed it was Nell. It but was they, Nell. They said, okay. she's like, she's already left. Um, Amy believes that they moved her on without realizing that they had moved her on. Um, maybe that Ryan even did it in his sleep without realizing it. And then Ryan tells Amy about the terrifying dream he had about Nell. The one in which Nell told him that if he didn't help her, that the car accident that he experienced would happen to his younger brother next. Ryan reveals to Amy that he actually had that same dream every night for two and a half months. Oh, my Lord. And it really freaked him out. That's when Amy tells him, or tells everyone, that the dream probably didn't come from Nell, but instead it came from the house itself. And this is what I found to be really freaky. And whenever I hear this part, it gives me the chills. During her walk, Amy said that sometimes structures will develop their own identities. Sometimes when this happens, the structure itself becomes bad. She said that people had damaged the house's heart, and now the house was angry and disturbed. But she could not tell who or what caused this to happen. Well, the pig in the house (laughs) would break any house's heart. I don't think the pig was in the house. I think the pig was maybe, maybe. They didn't ever specify where the pig actually was or if they found the pig. Yeah, I don't know what if they recovered the, the pig. pig. I don't know. The pig is a mystery. And maybe the house is sad because the pig. There's probably escaped. a book written about what happened to the pig. I need to find out. I'm not sure. So anyway. But um, I, d- I do believe homes develop personalities. Yes. And so that's what she said. This house actually has a angry and disturbed identity. She's not exactly sure what or what who or what caused that to happen. She believes that the house itself was giving Ryan those dreams, not any ghosts in the home. Amy believed that the house was lashing out at them because the house does not want them there. She said that in her experience, other structures that have taken on a disturbed identity like this mm-hmm. had either been burned down or demolished, which makes me think of the Summerwind house that we yes. did an episode on a couple the Summerwind seasons house. back struck by multiple bolts of lightning and burned to the ground that definitely was a home bent on self-destruction yes notorious reputation for being haunted yes and i think that that house probably had an identity like this one did yeah and it burned itself down to the ground and like amityville yeah yeah yes right so i think that's really creepy um so weird mm -hmm. so amy said houses like this are not meant to be lived in because the house does not want anybody in it that's when steve started to connect the dots he said so many people connected to this house and especially that night that nell disappeared met such terrible and tragic ends that perhaps there's something to what amy was saying Mm -hmm. the numerous suicides the murder of nell herself and the painful colon cancer death her sister experienced for all the people involved that night, maybe the house had influenced all of that. Interesting. That's really So cute. Robin, the mom, then said to Amy, um, if they could just have a priest come and bless the house, would that just fix everything? And Amy's like, no, there is really nothing you can do. Amy warned them if they stay to be weary of illnesses, especially unusual ones. And to be careful, as the house could have very negative influences on them. So in the post-show notes, it said that Ryan had moved out, but his family was staying in the home. I wonder if you could, I mean, there's got to be a way to fix a home like that. Maybe just 
rent it out as an Airbnb. Yeah, um, people who no, want to ghost. No, hunt. I mean, or no, <laughs> I mean, it does. It doesn't want to be a house, so maybe it could be like a business or something. Like, w- w- how could that be transformed? The energy transformed. I bet you that someday that house burns down. Whoa. So it's a it's a historical house because of all the hoopla. Let's do the cards on it. Oh, we should. That's a good idea. All the hoopla around that house. It is on the. I believe I remember reading a long time ago that it's on the uh, Elizabethtown, North, North Carolina Elizabethtown Ghost Walking Tour. Okay. I think they take you by there. Yeah. Um, but it's a big it's a big deal in their community, so they're never going to tear it down themselves. I don't think it could turn out to it's be a like business. a historical exactly. place for their exactly. City. Okay, it's like the Lizzie Borden house in New Falls, Massachusetts. Sure. They're never gonna or New River. They're never gonna tear that house down because of its of its story behind it. So um, yeah, let's do let's do a tarot reading on that. Wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, we'll be right back. We did. Uh, reading on the fate of what will be the fate of the Nell Cropsey house. And I'm using the light Sears tarot by Chris Ann. Mm-hmm. And the first card I got was the two of swords, which shows me that there is a lot of just being tormented, just being, um, you know, not sure what to do that the house itself is constantly being pecked at, maybe remodeled and it's pissed. It doesn't like that. And it's it just being strung up in different... The, I'm really going off the imagery of the card I'm using. It's really just being tied up and and pecked to death. And um, people are doing things with it that it doesn't like. And it's just unhappy. An unhappy house. And the next card I get is the Ten of Wands, which I don't think many people stay. I think that they move on and they move on. And the mm-hmm. house is burdened with its unhappiness. Because the Ten of Wands tends to be a card of heavy burden. Right. And in the in my card in particular, it shows this girl, she's packed her ox and she's moving on. So I think it's it's causing a lot of chaos in the home for people. They can't get settled in there and they move on. And the house itself doesn't want them in there anyway. Right. And I end with the Eight of Wands. Oh, wow. Yeah. Eight of Wands. You, that was your last card? That was my last card. Okay, Holly. Which tells me. I'm freaking me, out right now. Yeah. Why? Because I drew the same card as my third card. And yeah. we know exactly what that means. It means that house is going to burn down. It's going to be torched. It's going to go down in flames. Yep. Because <gasps> wands are flames or fire. Their wands are flames. And, and this deck in particular, I'm holding up. Yeah. It's got fire, fire, fire from everywhere. the from the wands. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my god. So tell me what I've deck I've got the chills right now. I know. Tell me what deck you're using and what you got. Oh, I'm using the same as last uh episode, the Tarot of Haunted House by Sasha Graham. I'm not even going to pronounce the second name. Okay. <laughs> uh, but I'll have it on the credits. And the first card I drew was the Page of Wands coming to torch that home with yeah. his wand. Yeah. Actually, I think it just means that the energy there is unhappy and you know, it's still being burdened by a spirit there. I think there's also still a spirit there. Okay. And the four of cups is emotional discontent. Um, the yes. house is just yes. getting, it's not at peace at all. Right. And ending with the eight of wands, Which... burn, baby, burn. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, yeah. It's, it's going up in flames. Fast. It's going to happen. It's going to be explosive and bam, yeah. gone. I think you're right. I think that, yeah. Yeah. Because the house has an angry identity, mm-hmm. 
It doesn't want to be a house anymore, and that's what happens with houses like that. They burn themselves down. You know, it's crazy that we got the exact same card as the final outcome. I know. That's pretty solid in terms of what's going to happen to that house. But I haven't I haven't seen anything that tells me that it's burned down. And in fact, that Dead Files episode aired a long time ago. So the mm-hmm. people that live there are probably gone by now. Who knows? They might it, be. It was like early 2000s, I think, that I saw that. Maybe not early 2000s, maybe mid 2000s. It's still kind of a long time ago. But um, mm. I'll just do a quick Google, Google, a Google, Google search, see if it's still uh, standing. I mean, yeah, when I did my research, I looked it up and it's still there. Still there. Looks like uh, they would want. According to Zillow, 350000 for a haunted house. Oh, it's a cute place. It's a cute little Victorian house, isn't it? That's not that much money. And it's on the river. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's haunted as fuck. Well, Holly, my spooky story is coincidentally in South Carolina. No way. Yes. Really? Way. Well, hello, Carolinas. Yes, this I is guess. This episode. You know, we haven't had our synchronicity uh, match up like this for no, a while. No, this is great. This yeah, is this fun. is great. Yeah. Um, South Carolina, which has lots of history and old plantations going through different stories there. And there's this small city of Beaufort uh, known to be very haunted. Cool. I found in particular a very strange story about a property named The Castle, probably for its enormous size. It was the home of Dr. Joseph Johnson, who started building the home in the 1850s. He hadn't completely finished it yet when the Civil War broke out. Mm. Um, The federal troops occupied the home, though, and used it for their wounded soldiers as a hospital. This stately home is located in downtown's Point neighborhood on Craven Street. I love that name. Yeah. Spooky. Yeah. And is well known among the locals as a landmark and frequent stops on tourist walks. Okay, cool. So another ghost walk probably. Yeah. The castle had water coming up from the Beaufort River, creating a moat-like effect. So possibly another reason why it was nicknamed the castle. Right. It also had an outbuilding on the property that was used for a morgue, and the plantation grounds itself was used as a burial cemetery for unclaimed bodies. Well, that sounds like a good recipe for a haunting, doesn't it? It does, yes. So it seems the Or a dragon slaying. Or a a dragon (laughs) slaying, yes. It seems the history of the founding colony of Charles Fort, which is now Paris Island, had an interesting settler, Jean Ribot, an explorer who came over from France to reside there back in 1562. How is this connected with Beaufort, you may ask? How is this connected with Beaufort, may I ask? Why, thanks, Holly. (laughs) Well, among their family, Jean Ribou was rumored to have brought with him a dwarf named Gauche. Gauche. Meaning awkward or or left in French. I guess people who are left-handed are awkward. An awkward dwarf? An awkward dwarf. (laughs) He was hired out as a jester. And he was this rough scoundrel, had a testy mouth that got him into lots of trouble, as well as getting into brawls often. Awesome. It was, yeah, it was said that Gauche, or I'm sorry, Gauche, was away from Charles Fort in the area of Beaufort and made some enemies who impaled him with a sword and left his bloody body on a pike staked into the land. Ew. That would 300 years later 
become the same plantation home of Dr. Johnson's the castle. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's tainted land because he's got a bloody a bloody dwarf. murder. A lot of murders on that property and a lot of people dying on yeah. that property yeah. from the Civil War. It is said that the spirit of Gauche liked the home because it reminded him of France. The home did slightly resemble a French chateau. After the war ended, Dr. Johnson came back to reclaim his home, paying a $2,000 tax. I guess a lot of these plantations went under, I mean, the families couldn't reclaim them because you had to pay back taxes on them. Oh, uh-huh. So it was kind of a scam. Yeah, yeah. So sad. But yeah. he was able to get his, his home back. Yeah. And he ended up finishing the building of the castle. The home had six massive columns supporting two porches. And had long French windows framing the front doors. Mm -hmm. The house, along with its gardens, occupies a full city block. It has 23 rooms and eight fireplaces. Wow. It, it, a whole city block? A whole city block. Wow. It's yeah. huge. Well, it's part of the gardens are, are part of that, too. Oh, okay. The house, along with its gardens, occupies oh, okay. a full city okay. block. Okay, got it, got it. It's mm -hmm. just a big property. Mm -hmm. Many of the old oak trees and ancient olive trees were planted there by Dr. Johnson himself. Mm-hmm. Gardeners tending the property started to complain that they were seeing an odd mist appear from the trees and take form in the shape of a little man. <laughs> okay. Poltergeist activity started to occur in the home, which involved the throwing around of chairs, moving heavy furniture, and knocking on walls. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Some people say it is the ghosts of the deceased soldiers trying to find the hidden treasure of the doctor before the family had to escape their home. Oh, it was rumored that Dr. Johnson buried his china, silver, and other valuables somewhere in the home or beneath the floorboards of the outbuilding. Many of the unoccupied plantation homes were raided for its wealth by the soldiers, and perhaps the restless souls are still searching. Hmm. Some people tend to think it's Gauche, the little jester who is causing all the trouble. Yeah. Because he wants the home for himself. I don't and blame he, him. And he never got along with anyone when he was alive. Yeah. Would you would you duke it out with people to get that home? Uh, yes. Beautiful. Probably. Even Dr. Johnson was reported to have seen the strange little figure crossing his path outside the home. Hmm. Dr. Johnson's daughter, Lily, and her husband also lived in the castle and would hear bells ringing. Perhaps it was the little bells on the jester's costume or perhaps a warning of something else. <laughs> Many poltergeist activity use bells to announce their presence. Hmm. When Lily was a young girl, she would tell stories of having tea parties with her friend who lives in the basement. She described him as a wrinkled old elf dressed in colorful clothes mm. with pointed shoes and a cap. So he's totally haunting that house. Totally. Mm -hmm. The descendants of the Johnsons who lived in the home claimed they would see bloody handprints appear on the windows and the walls of Ooh, the home. That's creepy. So gross. Yeah. Doors would open and slam shut, and sometimes their dinner would mysteriously be eaten off their plates. <laughs> well, that's just rude, considering <laughs> ghosts can't eat, right? <laughs> well, do we know that for sure? We're not ghosts yet. I know. I don't think they can mm, eat, though. Okay. I just think it's rudeness. <laughs> In a June 1940 interview with Harper Bazaar magazine, a Mrs. Danner who lived in the property said that the jester would not make itself visible to adults. After hearing many knocks and tappings, it was determined that the ghost was trying to communicate in code. Oh, Morse code? Well, 
this is a simple method, they said, similar to the Morse code commonly used by prisoners to communicate with one another. Mm -hmm. It is sometimes called the knock code Mm -hmm. or the tapping code and is a way to encode a message on a letter-by-letter basis. Hmm. Did you ever read um, Kurt Vonnegut's book, The Player Piano or Mm -mm. Player Piano? Mm Mm-mm. Okay, so in there was a knocking or tap code feature, but okay, I digress. (laughs) I think this would be really hard because not only would it be code knocking, you know, in tapping, but it would be in 16th century French, right? Yeah. So this little guy came from France. So someone was hired to decipher the knockings and a translation was published in Tales of Beaufort by Neil S. Graydon, who tells of a house guest visiting... That helps to conduct an interview with the ghost. This is what they came up with. Mm. Who are you and what do you call yourself? I am gauche. Yeah. Why are you here? I live here in the cellar because it reminds me of home and I won't ever get to see it again. Will you make yourself visible to me? No, I don't show myself to fools. (laughs) What a personality. Mrs. Danner, who was interviewed, said the communications were a challenge. They had to be written down, and then the family had to find someone who could translate the archaic French language from the tapping code. Jeez, that would be something to that's find brutal. somebody to I do mean, that. I mean, that's some determination. Yeah. But, you know, they wanted to get to the bottom of why the house was experiencing so much paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. I mean, they probably didn't want to move. They loved the house, right? But only then, after all the trouble of doing this, they find out the message was not a greeting of peace. It was always filled with horrible cuss words, which I guess were really (laughs) offensive. Well, you said he was a fighter. So, yeah, yeah, he probably did swear a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And he also, the messages were filled with complete contempt for all living people. Okay. So he he just didn't like people at all. Yeah. I don't like him either. Yeah. No, she, (laughs) you and you and he would get along. Yeah, we would. She said in one translated message, Gauche called one family member a hellion. And after that conversation, she never listened again or had any other interest in trying to make contact. Because it was just too offensive. She wouldn't make it in today's today's world. Which She wouldn't make it past two sentences of our podcast. uh, I know. She she wouldn't be a fan. No way. The house stayed with the Johnson family until 1981, where it then became listed as a historical landmark and is now open to the public for tours. Hmm. Visitors to the property still report seeing mists resembling a figure coming up out of the water from the river nearby Hmm. and sensing a ghostly presence, hearing footsteps, seeing bloody prints on surfaces and hearing bells. So all of this is still continuing. In 1999, the property was featured in the film Forces of Nature, Mm. starring Sandra Bullock and Ben Affleck. It's I've a rom com. That yeah, yeah. So the grounds of the castle were painted green to enhance the beauty for the movie site of their wedding ceremony. Yeah, yeah. I remember that house. Yeah, good. So Rotten huh. Tomatoes gave it a forty-five percent. Oh, geez, so much higher than a Benefer romantic comedy. Yeah. But anyway, I tried to see if there were any comments or reports of hauntings from the film crew. You know, like, yeah, yeah, sometimes happens. Sure. Um, but all I got was that despite of all the rooms in the castle, Ben and Sandra felt that they couldn't stay there for the filming. So they rented rooms at the Rhett House in a different location. The Rhett House? As in Rhett Butler. Oh, Rhett Butler's house is where they stayed. Yeah. 
guess so. <laughs> the Rett House. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, and so it's called the Rett House Inn. I think Gauche may have offended them. I can imagine him tap tapping out this. You know what that says? Fuck you, Hellion. <laughs> I oh, I think I interpreted it as take it from a jester, Ben. You suck at rom coms. <laughs> <laughs> oh no i mean one thing i think about as i read these accounts of this haunting if you could make bloody handprints on a window why not just write in blood your message right so much easier than yeah. knocking nonsense yeah. out on maybe the he didn't know how stuff. to write you know you said he came from the 16th century oh right? my gosh he probably didn't even know how to write you were so knocking was right. all he had yeah you're right yeah that's why yeah well thank you yeah. mystery solved you're welcome So we ate at different restaurants. We both had mint lemonade. And, and our tarot readings are so in are sync right so now. so in sync right now. So we're capturing the moment. We are. What is the big question? So Carol was telling us that the um, story of the house she just did was featured in the film Forces of Nature, which came out in 1999 with Sandra Bullock and Ben Affleck. Mm -hmm. And the story, of, I've seen this movie and it's good. I liked it. Um, essentially, this guy is supposed to get married Ben Affleck is supposed to get married to Maura Tierney, who plays his fiance, and yeah, they're getting married in Georgia or something, or I think that's where it's supposed to take place. Or I, Are you maybe sure it's, it's not South Carolina, no, because that's not. where the castle is. Well, maybe it was South it Carolina. It could be. They're we'll getting, just say they're getting married at the big fancy house, the castle, and Ben Affleck has to get across the country in order to make it in time for his wedding. He ends up running into Sandra Bullock. Her character is named Sarah. So they end up becoming friends and they're trying to get across the country together. And of course, along the way, they fall in love. And when they finally get all the way out to where he's supposed to get married, it's his wedding day. And he tells her he's going to go um, break up with the wife, mm -hmm. the, the girl he's going to marry. He's yeah. going to go break up with her and be with Sandra Bullock. So the scene at the end of the movie, and if you don't want to know how yeah, it ends, spoiler, you better cut out stop now. listening. Yeah. <laughs> Um, he goes up to Maura Tierney. She's in her wedding dress. and She's looking beautiful. She looks beautiful. And she's like, where have you been? You know, we've you know, been worried about you. You've taken too long to get here. There's all these issues about them getting there on time. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so he starts to tell her, like, I, you, you think he's going to break up with her? And then he just starts crying. And he goes, I'm so sorry. I can't wait to marry you. And blah, 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 blah. And from a distance, Sandra Bullock's watching and she knows that he's chosen the fiance. His and former. So she takes off. Partner, and it's yeah. actually a very uh, heart wrenching scene because you're thinking the whole time he's going to be with Sandra Bullock, but yeah. really, he's really in love with his fiance. Yes. So we decided that we would do a tarot reading to see if he made the right choice. Hell yeah. <laughs> I want to know. Yeah. I mean, because your whole life can change based absolutely. on this pivotal moment, Ben. The person you choose for your spouse really will dictate your destiny in a lot of ways. Speaking of which, Ben might be getting remarried to J-Lo. I've heard that. Yeah. Whoa. Maybe this time the media will calm down and let them just get married. Yeah, maybe J-Lo will calm down and stop dressing him up in three-piece suits every day of his <laughs> <I don't> life. <laughs> so, Carol, you go first this All right. time and tell us what you got. Okay, I got the Queen of Cups. Yes. I got the Two of Cups. Yes. All right, and the Devil. And we did this a little yeah. differently. Okay, we did. Ca uh, Carol's question was, should he have stayed with his fiance? My question is, should he have left with Sandra Bullock? So what'd you so, get? Okay, so should he have stayed with his fiance, right. which in the movie he did? Yeah. 
Um, and was that a good choice? Well, the first is saying that, yes, she's a very caring, motherly woman. Right. She would be a great mother for a family for him, mm -hmm. very endearing, a kind of a caretaker personality. Yes. Um, and they are clearly soulmates because the two of cups, they're each other's best friends. Yes. And that's why when he saw her, he was like, oh, my God, I'm totally in love. Like, yeah. I realized that yeah. you are the one. Yes. Because they are soulmates. Yes. But a bad fucking choice. Because <laughs> she turns out to be dead, the devil incarnate. <laughs> she is the devil. Yes. She is the fucking devil. Like all good marriages start out. And then before you know it, you divorce, wake up with divorce, the devil. Divorce, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. No. So it ends with the devil, meaning that ultimately they're probably not suited for each other, even though they're soulmates that they feed each other's addictions, which are a lot like Ben and Jen in real life. Oh, JLo, you mean? I mean, I'm sorry, Ben and JLo. I got to get my celebrities right. Yeah. Um, well, know. there's very, he's been married to a Jen before. So you think oh, God, he calls JLo right. JLo so he doesn't get them. <laughs> he's confused. into the J's. Um, he is. But no, I think ultimately it probably was a good marriage for a while. And then like they got into addictive. He had an affair with Sandra Bullock. Situation. She comes back in another yes. time and they have an affair and then the whole thing blows up. Yeah. That's so. Yeah. That's, that's got to be it. <laughs> okay. Fictional what, characters, everyone. What did, what did you get? So I got the Queen of Swords, the King of Swords, and the Knight of Pentacles. Oh my gosh. And so this is if he were to choose Sandra Bullock. So to me, they would have had an intellectual relationship. Absolutely. And, um, I guess I don't remember in the movie them being big intellectuals, but maybe they were. I don't think so. But they had a I lot of remember. conversation, didn't they? They did have a lot of interesting arguments. So they would have been intellectual, and they would have either become quite successful with a business venture, or they would have had a child that was. Mm -hmm. And so they, but I don't see a lot of love and passion. No. Uh. -uh. And 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 so maybe that would have died out and they just would have had more of a business arrangement. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So it depends on what your priorities are. If yeah, you want, if you want to grow rich together and be, be kind of boring, but have yeah. good conversations. Yeah. Choose Sandra. Right. Sandra Bullock. But if you want the real fiery dynamic, and passion and the love and the throwing of plates. That's and right. Pie plates. That's and right. Possible stabbings on a front porch. Then you want more tyranny. You do. You do. Because love and fire, baby. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's it for us. Bye. Bye. Ella Cropsey, or quote-unquote Nell, as she was called, was a beautiful young girl living... Uh, here we go. Then she said... That, uh, An explorer who came over from France. 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 As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts, and all dolls are definitely haunted. guys be sure to follow us on instagram our handle is at fireside phantoms if you have a spooky story you would like to share with us send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode <laughs>